But Council, why is it that your conception of this does not relate in any way to Congress's primary objective? Because Council thought he was speaking to a Supreme Court that was entirely corrupt and doesn't care about congressional intent. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Thanks for asking. I got the feeling that something right. Justice Jackson. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yeah, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites blanketing. Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says everyone I know from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to have you here with us. We've got a lot to get to. Wait, is there stuff going on? Oh. Really? Just a few. Just a few (laughs) things. Uh, Much of it at the Supreme Court, by the way. But let's start here, Desi Doyen. Okay. An exclusive from Reuters this morning, a Republican Michigan Township election official who oversees elections and promotes false conspiracy theories of a rigged 2020 election could face criminal charges related to her involvement in two voting system security breaches, according to previously unreported records and legal experts. A state police detective recommended that the Michigan attorney general consider charges amid a months long probe into one breach related to the Republican clerk's handling of a vote tabulator. That's according to a June email from the detective to state and local officials, which Reuters obtained through a public records request. The clerk in this case is a woman named Stephanie Scott. She oversaw voting in rural Adams Township in Michigan until the state last year revoked her authority over elections. Scott has publicly embraced claims that the 2020 election was rigged against former U.S. President Donald Trump and has posted online about the QAnon conspiracy theory. So anyway, in a second, I I just it occurs to me what two strikes against her there. Uh, Anyway, in a second breach of the township's voting system, the clerk gave a file containing confidential voter data 
to a supposed information technology expert who is a suspect in another alleged Michigan election security violation, several of them in fact, as well as those in other states like in Mesa County, Colorado and in Coffee County, Georgia. The self-proclaimed expert, a guy by the name of Benjamin Cotton, worked with voter fraud conspiracists seeking unauthorized access to election systems in those other states according to uh, court records reviewed by Reuters, and he worked with the Cyber Ninjas' discredited post-election review of ballots and voting systems in Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona, as well. These people keep popping up like a bad penny. Like a bad penny. Yes, uh, everywhere. It's all the same people, and they're all pulling off the same scam, or at least trying to. Uh, But this particular incident... Uh, has not been previously reported, according to Reuters. So this appears to be, yes, another one of these breaches of sensitive, proprietary voting and tabulation software. But this incident also includes the clerk giving out confidential voter data, like legally confidential voter data, including driver's license and birth date information. State election law in Michigan prohibits the disclosure of that private voter data to unauthorized people. But Scott, the clerk, denies any wrongdoing, of course, just like Tina Peters, the Mesa County, Colorado clerk who snuck into the county's secure voting equipment room in the middle of the night with accomplices after she created a phony ID for one of them, turned off the security cameras and then copied Dominion Voting Systems election management software, which eventually leaked to the public during a Mike Lindell event on voting systems that was held by the uh, Pillow Company CEO. In that case, Peters has been charged with 10 uh, state criminal counts and is said to be under investigation by the FBI as well. But Clerk Scott here could potentially be facing similar charges now. At least that's what the investigating detectives recommended to the state attorney general in Michigan. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, the top election official in the uh, battleground state, she's a Democrat. She stripped Scott of her authority over elections last year after the clerk refused to perform regular maintenance and accuracy testing on voting equipment. Scott believed incorrectly that the process would erase 2020 election data if she did which she believed might contain fraud evidence. Her actions are part of a national effort by public officials and others seeking evidence of Trump's false stolen election claims and what many election security experts describe as a growing insider threat from officials tasked with safeguarding American democracy. Reuters has documented 18 incidents nationally, 12 of them in Michigan, in which public officials and others are accused of breaching or attempting to breach election systems. These violations can expose confidential voter information and enable election tampering by revealing security protocols. Last week, we reported on the show on the arrest and charges against a Michigan poll worker who... During the August primaries there, this year, attempted to insert a USB drive into one of those electronic poll books for some reason. Electronic poll books where that confidential voter information is stored. Matthew Weil, the executive director of the Democracy Program at the Bipartisan Policy Center's think tank, told Reuters, 
what voting and cybersecurity experts have been noting, have been telling us now for years, quote, the insider threat question is what keeps many people up at night. In fact, I am one of those people. Uh, there's more detail in this story, and there are others involved, like Scott's attorney, a woman named Stephanie Lambert, who herself appears to have exposed that uh, that that second breach by Scott. That was opposed by Lambert. And uh, Lambert is known already, it seems, to be both a Trump election denial conspiracist and a terrible lawyer. Lambert is a key figure in the election conspiracy movement. According to Reuters, she represents Scott in a lawsuit that Scott filed against state officials, alleging they improperly stripped her of her clerk duties. Lambert did not comment on why she chose to disclose an unauthorized release of voter data as part of that lawsuit on behalf of Scott. But you're starting to see why I'm saying she's a terrible attorney. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that could result in criminal penalties against her client or on the uh, new allegations against Scott that Reuters is reporting today. Lambert was previously also sanctioned herself by the courts and faces possible disbarment. But, yeah, hire her as your uh, as your attorney. Uh, she faces possible disbarment for her role in a federal lawsuit seeking to overturn Trump's 2020 election in Michigan election loss in Michigan, I should say. So, yeah, unsolicited legal advice for Clerk Scott. Get yourself a new lawyer. Stephanie Lambert and that supposed IT expert Ben Cotton, they are among at least nine people who are now themselves under investigation by a special prosecutor in Michigan for an alleged conspiracy to gain unauthorized access to voting equipment in a case that involves alleged breaches across the state. And for the record, the reason a special prosecutor is now investigating that case instead of the attorney general herself is because one of those people under investigation in that criminal criminal probe is a guy by the name of Matt DiPerno. If his name sounds familiar, it's because he has been nominated by the Republican Party to be its attorney general candidate in this year's midterm elections in Michigan. And when they did, when they nominated him, well, Michigan's Democratic attorney general, Dana Nessel, did the right thing. She is running for reelection now against DePerno, who was under criminal investigation. So she recused herself for conflict of interest and sought to have a special counsel replacer. Got it? For the record, Clerk Scott's lawsuit was dismissed, the one suing against uh, the state, claiming she was wrongly removed from her job. That lawsuit was dismissed last week by a Michigan uh, Court of Claims judge who cited the clerk's failure to properly sign and, oh yeah, verify her complaint. Hell of a clerk. <laughs> she forgot to sign the legal complaint. <laughs> anyway, uh, if charged... She's got a great attention to detail. <laughs> if charged here, uh, Scott would become the second elected clerk nationally to face criminal prosecution related to a security breach following the November 2020 elections. That after Tina Peters in Colorado. So, yeah, insiders. And we've been talking about that for a long time. The insider threat to our elections, insiders who have 
extraordinary access to these voting systems. Uh, thankfully, most of them, apparently, at least on the Republican side, are dumb enough not to know how to do this properly. It is not all that difficult to change the election results if you want to on these computers, which is just one of the reasons why I have so uh, for so many years argued against their use. And that you also recommend that if at all possible, at all times, always vote on a hand marked paper ballot. Making it harder for the bad guys, whether they're insiders or outsiders, right. to steal an election. Because there is a physical thing there to count that you have verified and marked yourself. Meanwhile, Michigan has been a central target of this election conspiracy 2020 denialist movement. However, Reuters notes in their exclusive that more than 250 audits have confirmed the former president's loss there. But who knows? Maybe a 251st audit may show up something. <laughs> uh, I know pillow man Mike Lindell is certainly hoping that it does because he seems to be running out of options now to avoid potentially huge, huge and I mean huge accountability for defamation against the voting system companies Dominion and Smartmatic. As you have likely heard by now, and as per tradition, on the first Monday in October, the GOP's corrupt, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court has now begun its new session with its newest Associate Justice, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. But we'll get to her in a moment. Among the court's first official actions of the new term was to tell Mike Lindell to take a flying leap, apparently, uh, though I suspect everything else is likely to be downhill from uh, from this court hereafter. But as to uh, Mike Lindell, the Supreme Court on Monday, they rejected the MyPillow CEO's bid to fend off a defamation lawsuit that the voting machine company Dominion had filed over Lindell's evidence-free claims about the 2020 presidential election, the justice's decision not to hear Lindell's case means that a federal judge's ruling in August of last year that allowed the lawsuit against him to move forward, well, that remains in place. Dominion sued Lindell and MyPillow in February of 2021, claiming $1.3 billion in damages, alleging that Lindell purposely pushed the big lie that Trump won the 2020 election. Lindell repeatedly echoed evidence-free claims that Dominion's machines were rigged in order to manipulate vote counts to ensure that Joe Biden defeated Trump. Lindell's claims have been widely debunked, and in the lawsuit, Dominion argues that Lindell knew that his claims were false. And that's where this case gets a little bit complicated because Lindell's lawyers say that Lindell genuinely believes these claims that he is making. Now, Lindell had unsuccessfully asked U.S. District Judge Carl Nichols in Washington, D.C. Nichols is a Trump appointee to the federal bench. Lindell had asked him to uh, allow him to appeal two legal questions related to the landmark 1964 Supreme Court defamation ruling in New York Times versus Sullivan, which concluded that there must be evidence of, quote, actual malice for a public figure to pursue a defamation claim. Lindell, in this case, is arguing that Dominion is a public figure 
because it performs a government function in elections and therefore the actual malice standard should apply. It's not enough, in other words, to prove that he defamed the company. The company must prove, because they're a public figure, says Lindell, the company must prove that Lindell defamed them with actual malice. As in, he knew or should have known. He knew, should have known, and therefore, Lindell argues, uh, since Dominion is a public figure, they have to prove that. They have to prove actual malice. Lindell's lawyers argue that because Lindell genuinely believes his claims, there was no actual malice. And therefore, the lawsuit lawsuit should be dismissed. Apparently, even our corrupt, stolen and packed Republican majority Supreme Court disagrees, however, with Lindell because they declined to take this case, leaving the lower court's ruling in place, which now allows the one point three billion dollar case to proceed to discovery and trial against Pillow Boy. And Dominion, as you likely know, uh, also sued uh, Trump allies Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, speaking of terrible attorneys, sued them as well for defamation. Judge Nichols allowed those claims to move forward as well. And in a separate case in May, Nichols also threw out Lindell's own defamation lawsuit against Dominion and Smartmatic. Yes, Lindell was suing the companies claiming they had defamed him. And Smartmatic, by the way, uh, only has one contract in the U.S., and it's here in Los Angeles where even Lindell is not dumb enough to claim that this county stole the election from Donald Trump uh, in 2020 here in Los Angeles. Dominion and Smartmatic have also filed similar suits against Fox News and other right-wing media outlets, and so far every single one of them, as I recall, has been allowed to move forward. Whether they will be successful, well, that we still don't know, but so far the attempts to derail them to date have all gone down in flames. Now, for the record, two of the corrupt right-wing justices on the uh, Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch, have suggested that the 1964 defamation precedent in New York Times v. Sullivan, which makes it harder for public figures to bring defamation claims against people, Thomas and Gorsuch has argued that should be overturned. And for the completely coincidental record, so has Donald Trump who would like to be able to sue all manner of people uh, and not have to prove actual malice. As to the first substantive stuff to come out of the high court's first official day of the term, a bit more encouraging news, I think, in, in, in what is otherwise a very unnerving, uh, expected to be a rather unnerving term filled with all manner of precedent-busting opinions by this new right-wing supermajority, you know, after they took privacy rights and reproductive freedoms and voting rights and much more away at the end of their their previous term. Well, buckle up, because much more of that is likely ahead in this term until Democrats can win a large majority, a large enough majority in the U.S. Senate to end the filibuster in order to expand the packed and stolen and corrupted court if the Democrats can get that majority and have the courage to do so. Until then, things are going to get quite dark on the court, I'm afraid. But uh, on Monday, at least, there was a bit of encouraging news right out of the gate. 
The newest Supreme Court Justice, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, nominated by President Biden to fill the seat of retired Justice Stephen Breyer. Well, she already seems to be kicking a bit of butt on the bench on her very first day there. That according to several reports out of the court on Monday. This one from TPM's Kate Riga on the high court's first oral argument of the term on Monday in Sackett v. EPA. Sent This case centers on whether certain wetlands uh, warrant federal government protection under the Clean Water Act. Jackson was a prominent voice in the proceedings on Monday in the first oral argument of the term, and she was apparently unafraid to tangle both with her fellow justices and with the lawyer representing the Sacketts who are trying to build on currently protected wetlands near a lake in Idaho. They've been trying for 15 years now. In one exchange, for example, Justice Jackson jumped in to rebut a lengthy cross-examination by the Trump-appointed Justice Neil Gorsuch, who had been building the argument that property owners are bedeviled by EPA standards under the Clean Water Act that grant some wetlands protection but not others, and that they could be exposed to stiff penalties if they unknowingly built on protected lands. Gorsuch asked, quote, So if the federal government doesn't know if it's protected, how is a person subject to criminal time in federal prison supposed to know? (laughs) Well, Jackson jumped in uh, then to inquire, quote, Is there a process by which a homeowner can ask the federal government? The Deputy U.S. Solicitor General Brian Fletcher answered in the affirmative that the Army Corps of Engineers will do a jurisdictional determination and they will do it for free. Well, that sounds terrible. What a burden. So Jackson added, so you're not really facing criminal liability without the opportunity to get an assessment from the government regarding your particular circumstances? She also sparred with the lawyer for the uh, for the Sacketts, Damian Schiff, who echoed Gorsuch and Alito and Kavanaugh, who each raised similar points about ignorant property owners uh, in his rebuttal. He held forth on the expense of hiring environmental consultants and the general cost and the hassle of having to make sure that the land you're building on is not protected. Again, Jackson cut in and said, quote, I I thought they went into it knowing that this might be a wetland, she said. Schiff, the attorney for the Sacketts, responded that, well, there had been an assessment done by a prior owner determining that the land was a wetland, but said that the Sacketts, they didn't know about it. Jackson asked with a chuckle, well, shouldn't they have gathered information about the property prior to purchasing it? You keep talking about notice and fair notice and property owners not being able to tell or know about this issue, she said. I'm just trying to clarify with respect to the Sacketts. There seems to have been a prior determination that the land was wetland before they bought it. And whether or not they knew, they could have known, I presume. So why is this unfair in this situation with respect to the government now asserting that authority that, yeah, it's wetlands? Well, I am loving it. I'm loving everything (laughs) she is saying here. And then why, she wondered, would Congress make a law to protect waters that are directly connected to other waters that are somehow not protected? You say the question is which wetlands are covered, which I agree with. But I guess my 
question is why would Congress uh, draw the coverage line between abutting wetlands and neighboring wetlands when the objective of the statute is to ensure the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of, of the nation's waters? Great question. Why would they uh, say that these waters over here are wetlands, so they need to be protected when they are connected precisely to these other waters here? Aren't those connect? Are, are, aren't those protected as well? Wouldn't that seem obvious that the government would want to protect the water from one body right. from flowing into the other? She is talking about the intent of Congress, which was to protect the waters that people are going to drink from. And so in the Sackett's case, there was a connection. Then somebody had built a road over it and they said, well, see, now it doesn't count anymore. Now they're not connected. And they're like, no, no, it's there's a there's a lot that went into the arguments here. And they're hilarious to watch uh, both Sotomayor and uh, Jackson sort of uh, uh, twist this lawyer. And into this knots. is this is critical. Because this is where the court last year, uh, you, you know, the idea of, of what was Congress's intent of these statutes, uh, in this case, behind the EPA's environmental regulations for waters. Last term, it was for uh, the, the environmental regulations for air. It's critical because last year. The court determined, for example, that, you know, they just had no way of knowing if Congress really intended the EPA to regulate carbon emissions and other greenhouse gases that are causing global warming because the original Clean Air Act of 1965, I think, didn't include the word carbon. But it did refer to deadly pollutants that endanger the public health, which even the Supreme Court previously had determined, yes, included carbon pollution. But last June, the newly corrupted court decided that, well, since Congress never actually said the word carbon in the act, the, uh, the EPA was not allowed to regulate it unless Congress came back together and actually clarified and made a bill specifically that said so. And the court's right-wingers here are trying to do the same thing with the Clean Water Act, essentially. Jackson, on Monday, was trying to prevent them from doing so. But, counsel, why, why is it that your conception of this does not relate in any way to Congress's primary objective? Do you dispute that the primary objective, as stated in the statute, I guess it's at 1251, uh, is that Congress cared about making sure that the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of the nation's waters was protected. <laughs> Don't you understand that that was their intent? Uh, he says, uh, he goes on to say something like, well, no, uh, we don't uh, disagree that was their intent. We just, uh, they also said there was other waters that uh, shouldn't be protected. So maybe this is one of them. Who knows? That question, of course, was directed at Schiff. But Jackson's point was uh, summed up in the general critique of the right wing justices handling of agency cases of late. They did so on that other EPA related case in the last term. They ignore the spirit of the law, the clear spirit, the clear intent in favor of parsing the language of the statutes to conclude, oh, Congress wasn't specific enough in the text. This has been what the uh, right wingers have been arguing in order to, you know, weaken federal agencies and their ability, uh, their ability to regulate just about anything that the right wingers and therefore, you know, their operatives on the high court don't want them to re regulate, even if Congress clearly did. 
Some of Jackson's uh, Republican peers on the bench uh, seem to be taking note uh, of, of her comments, but they seem to be taking that route again, including Gorsuch, who suggested that the EPA's methods to determine which wetlands are protected are just too opaque, they're too arbitrary. So uh, we will see if they can muster up the, you know, enough votes on their stolen and corrupt six person right wing supermajority, which they are likely to do. Then they are likely once again to narrow the, de- the definition of what wetlands actually are and which ones deser- uh, deserve federal protection and which ones will be vulnerable to pollution and contamination. As uh, Politico's Josh Gerstein described it, uh, as the Supreme Court kicked off its new term, Justice Jackson sent a message that she has no intent of being a shrinking violet. Despite her newcomer status, she waited less than eight minutes before jumping into the fray as her colleagues grappled with a dispute about the scopes of the EPA's authority to regulate land use. In fact, the court's newest justice politely dominated the questioning at the outset of Monday's (laughs) session, Gerstein says. Jackson remained an active questioner throughout the argument, scoring assists from several colleagues. And this is interesting. Several colleagues, including Justice Sonia Sotomayor and right wingers Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, who pressed the Sackett's attorney to respond to uh, Jackson's queries. Indeed, she was so vocal that her questioning helped extend the planned one hour of arguments to two hours. So who knows? Maybe uh, KBJ will shake things up a little bit on on the court. That would be nice. Either way, it's very nice to see her right out of the gate, willing to step up and call some of these right wingers BS out. Indeed, it was fantastic. And we know about it. As we do, because though the court has been reopened for the first time since the covid pandemic, they are keeping in place the live airing of the uh, of the uh, court arguments. So we have that audio right away, which is very nice. And that was just day one of this new term. After all, Tuesday was day two. And the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in a case that could put another nail in the coffin of the landmark Voting Rights Act. Also, first passed in 1965 and aimed at eliminating racial discrimination against minority voters. We'll have more on that on tomorrow's broadcast with an expert on the matter in this case that could, if the right wingers do as expected, all but end what little is now left of that venerated 1965 landmark piece of civil rights legislation, I suspect. uh, Justice Jackson may have a word or two to say about it, however, but we will get there tomorrow. And one more Supreme Court story before we get to a break, because this just broke within the past hour or two. (sighs) Former President Donald Trump has filed an emergency request to the Supreme Court to intervene in the dispute over materials marked as classified that the FBI seized from his Mar-a-Lago estate this summer after he stole them from the White House upon leaving office. Trump is specifically asking the court to ensure that the more than 100 documents marked as classified will be part of the special master's review, which was already uh, rejected by a three-judge panel on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. That three-judge panel included two judges that Trump nominated to it. His emergency application to the Supreme Court comes after the appeals court sided with the Justice Department. 
and said the department's criminal investigation into the documents marked as classified could, in fact, continue. Despite what Judge Eileen Cannon, the uh, district court, had said, she had uh, put the, uh, the DOJ's use of the records on hold. Eileen Cannon, the corrupt district, judge, district court judge in Florida who was also appointed by Trump, and who stunned pretty much all legal experts by granting his request for a third-party review of those materials obtained at Mar-a-Lago, stolen by Trump when he left office, and retrieved by the FBI as part of an investigation into apparent violations of the Espionage Act and other federal statutes by the former president. Uh, earlier this year, Trump had asked the Supreme Court justices to block the release of documents from his White House to congressional investigators uh, sitting on the uh, January 6th committee. The high court, however, now featuring three justices appointed by Trump, had rejected that request. We will see if they requ- uh, reject this one. Uh, I- I'm, I'm sure they appreciate being asked, however. Take a quick break, and we are back with, uh, uh, yeah, some more on the broadcast <laughs> story. I really don't want to cover, but I think we have to. All right. You'll wait and see what it is. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. If you are traveling back to Georgia, won't you take me with you there? Yeah. We are going back to Georgia, but not for what we usually go back to Georgia for. That would be breaches by right wingers uh, to their terrible, unverified computerized voting system or cover ups of those breaches by their terrible Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Now, we're going back to Georgia today for something less criminal and, frankly, more just sort of s- sorted, uh, to be Sad. frank. And yeah, I, I wouldn't normally cover it, but for the fact that the, the guy being called out here for it, if true, has been wildly hypocritical in calling for the rights of others to be taken away from them, even as he has secretly enjoyed those rights himself. So apologies in advance uh, in that we all may need to take a shower after this story. But the U.S. Senate race in Georgia between incumbent Democratic Senator and Reverend Raphael Warnock and Georgia football legend and terrible Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker has been, uh, for reasons that I'm really having trouble understanding, has been one of the closest Senate races in the nation in recent months, despite how incredibly and I would say embarrassingly awful Herschel Walker has been as a candidate in virtually every imaginable way. And yet Walker has been like barely trailing Raphael Warnock in what essentially has largely been a statistical tie, considering the margin of error on uh, polling from the state. And then Well, ugh, this happened on Monday night. Herschel Walker's campaign was in turmoil after his adult son accused him of threatening to kill him and his mother and also 
lying about past behavior to cast himself as a, quote, family man. But the astonishing tirade from Christian Walker came just two hours after a news outlet reported that his father, the Republican Senate candidate, a Senate nominee from Georgia, paid his then girlfriend in 2009 to have an abortion. Herschel Walker, who staunchly claims to oppose abortion in all circumstances, including rape and incest and the life of the mother, not just the health of the mother, by the way, even the life of the mother. Yeah, if it's going to kill you, Herschel Walker says you should die. Too bad. Uh, Walker condemned a report by the Daily Beast, including evidence that Walker paid for a girlfriend's abortion back in 2009. He called it a flat out quote, flat out lie. He pledged to sue the publication at about the same time as the former former football star appeared on Fox News to deny that those allegations. Christian Walker, his son, unleashed a series of tweets accusing his father of, quote, making a mockery of the family. Now, before we get to those tweets from uh, from Christian and again, I don't have any particular problem Uh, With any of this, other than if true, Herschel Walker, in addition to being a liar and a philanderer and likely mentally ill, is also an extraordinary hypocrite, Uh, you know, who would be exposed as such um, before being elected to a six year term in the U.S. Senate. So kind of seems important that folks understand this and they know about these these charges which seem pretty legit. Roger Sullenberg's Sullenberger's uh, report, his detailed exclusive at the Daily Beast on Monday night reported Herschel Walker, the football legend now running for Senate in Georgia, says he wants to completely ban abortion, likening it to murder and claiming there should be, quote, no exception for rape, incest or even the life of the mother. But the Republican candidate has supported at least one exception for himself. A woman who asked not to be identified out of privacy concerns told the Daily Beast that after she and Walker conceived a child while they were dating in 2009, he urged her to get an abortion. The woman said she had the procedure and that Walker reimbursed her for it. She supported these claims because they're pretty extraordinary. She uh, supported the claims with a $575 receipt from the abortion clinic Also, a get well card, apparently signed by Walker, which Sullenberger shares in the article, along with other examples of Walker's uh, signature that, yes, match the one on the card and a bank deposit receipt that included an image of a signed $700 personal check from Walker just days later. Additionally, the Daily Beast independently corroborated the details of the woman's claims with a close friend that she told uh, at the time about it and who, according to that woman and, and the friend, took care of her in the days after the procedure. The woman said Walker, who was not married at the time, told her it would be more convenient to terminate the pregnancy, saying it was, quote, not the right time for him to have a child. It was a feeling she shared at the time, but what she did not know was that Walker had an out-of-wedlock child with another woman earlier in that same year. Asked if Walker ever expressed regret 
for the decision, the woman said that Walker never had. Asked why she came forward, the woman pointed to Walker's hardline anti-abortion position, saying, quote, I just can't with the hypocrisy anymore. We all deserve better. According to the $575 receipt, the abortion took place on September 12, 2009. According to the Bank of America deposit receipt, Walker wrote the woman a check for $700 on September 17, and the check was deposited two days later. The woman explained the $125 difference because she says she, quote, ballparked the cost of the abortion after Googling the procedure and added on expenses like travel and recovery costs. The woman, who also provided proof of her romantic relationship with Walker, though the Daily Beast does not explain what that proof is, uh, told the Beast that he e- that he mailed her the check inside that get well card. The front of that card uh, shows a steaming cup of tea and reads rest, relax, dot, dot, dot. You open the card inside. It says dot, 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 recover. The card is signed. Uh, pray you are feeling better with an H in Walker's distinctive autograph flourish. So if this is a fake, if this is a fraud, if this is a hoax, boy, it's a detailed one. After the Daily Beast reached out to the Walker campaign for comment, uh, an attorney representing both the campaign and Walker uh, said, quote, this is a false story. After the story was published, Walker released a statement in which he called the story a, quote, flat out lie, said he denied it in the, quote, strongest possible terms, saying, quote, I'm not taking this anymore and that he plans to sue the Daily Beast, quote, for this defamatory lie. It will be filed tomorrow morning, he said on Monday night. To my knowledge, no such suit has yet to be filed as we go to air. Following the Supreme Court's repeal of Roe v. Wade in early summer, many Republicans vying for mainstream support in the general election in tight races have tried to move to the center, hoping to not alienate women voters, but not Walker, reports Sullenberger. Abortion has been front and center in Georgia for months. The University of Georgia football icon has drawn media attention with his outspoken absolutist position in support of a total ban, both statewide and federally. He has repeatedly likened the procedure to murder, and he does not support any exceptions, including rape, incest, or the life of mother, which Walker has dismissed as, quote, excuses, unquote. There is no exception in my mind, Walker told reporters in May. Like I say, I believe in life, he said. He's also said his anti-abortion position is not a recent shift, claiming last month that he has, quote, always been, quote, for life. He often invokes his faith to justify that position, including on the campaign trail, quote, To say that it is okay for a woman to kill her baby when God said, thou shalt not kill, well, I can't square it, Walker said at a conservative Christian values roundtable this August. I can't get around that, he said. Well, if that's what he's going to say, if that's what he's going to run on, I think people need to know about the evidence that he appears to have paid for his girlfriend to have an abortion. Again, nothing wrong with doing that, but there is something wrong with lying about it in public when you are running for public office. Yeah, and the hypocrisy is just... For a six-year term in the U.S. Senate. 
Meanwhile, uh, that story came out. And uh, as I said, Walker was on Fox News trying to explain it away to Sean Hannity when his adult son, Christian Walker, lashed out on Twitter uh, just hours later after the Daily Beast report. Uh, he lashed out in defense of the Daily Beast and against his father, saying, "You're uh, uh, tweeting, you are not a, quote, family man. When you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence, writes Christian Walker. In another exchange, Christian tweeted that, quote, every family member of Herschel Walker asked him not to run for office because we all knew some of his past. He decided to give us the middle finger and air out all of his dirty laundry in public while simultaneously lying about it, he wrote. Today, Christian Walker added to that Twitter tirade by posting a couple of videos to Twitter. Here is part of one of them. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. And you know my favorite issue to talk about is father absence. Surprise, because it affected me. That's why I talk about it all the time, because it affected me. Family values people, he has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the car. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter, he lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. And so for the right to say I'm being suspicious for saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with the lies, when you all have been calling me saying, is this true about your dad? Gosh, we're not gonna win Georgia, this candidate all, that's been you. You have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea what me and my mom have survived. We could have ended this on day one. We haven't. I haven't told any stories. I'm just saying, don't lie. Don't lie on my mom. Don't lie on me. Don't lie on the lives you've destroyed and act like you're some moral family man. Y'all should care about that, conservatives. We were told at the beginning of this, he was going to get ahead of his past, hold himself accountable, all of these different things, and that would have been fine. Go ahead. He didn't do any of that. Everything's been a lie. Everything's been downplayed. Everything's been cutting corners. The whole thing. And who, who is, whose expense is that at? Me, my mom, as we're chased down by the media, uh, we're, we're terrorized, all these different things. Uh, uh, people are questioning my authenticity. I'm done. Don't lie. Don't put this on me. You, this is a candidate issue, not a me issue. I wouldn't have spoken out if there weren't all these lies every day. Christian Walker, the son of Herschel Walker, uh, on Twitter on Tuesday, responding uh, to his response to the Daily Beast report that uh, Herschel Walker paid for his girlfriend's abortion uh, back in 2009, despite claiming to oppose abortion in every circumstance. Christian is also the son of Cindy Grossman, uh, an ex-wife of Walker's who uh, has accused the Republican of threatening to choke and shoot her. Those claims are not new. She obtained a uh, restraining order against him in 2005 after he allegedly threatened to kill her and her then boyfriend. Quote, he held the gun to my temple and said he was going to blow my brains out. 
Grossman said in a CNN interview in 2008. So obviously her statements were uh, not meant to undermine his Senate campaign 14 years later. Walker has attributed the abusive relationship to his struggles with mental health. Christian Walker, who boasts hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, who had been mostly silent on his father's campaign until the Daily Beast report, he tweeted, I don't care about someone who has had a bad past and takes accountability, but how dare you lie and act as though you're someone moral, Christian, upright. You've you're, you've lived a life of destroying other people's lives, Christian added. As to just some of the lies that Christian cites in his video there, as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution summarizes today, Walker has falsely claimed that he worked in law enforcement. He hasn't. He asserted that he graduated from college when he did not. He exaggerated his business record and made bizarre statements promoting a phony coronavirus cure, including a claim in 2020 that he had a mist that would, quote, kill any COVID on your body, EPA, FDA approved. Uh, and uh, he questions the science that underpins the theory of evolution, though that seems like a small matter given all the rest of this. And yet he's essentially tied with Senator Warnock, or at least he was before all of this happened over the past 24 hours. We will see what happens from here. But even before this, uh, you know, I would understand if Warnock was not a good candidate, but he's actually a great candidate. And Walker, even before this, was a terrible one. And yet, well, I guess, I don't know, that's Georgia or pollsters in Georgia. I don't know. We will see. But I thought you should know about it. Yeah, it's all very sad and sordid. Ugh. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with Green News Report. And uh, and then you and we and all of us can go take a shower. <laughs> Yeesh. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, I wish we were going from something so ugly to something much more pleasant. However, we are not. <laughs> Sadly, no. No. Instead, uh, we are going to Desi Doyen's <laughs> latest Green News report. Frustration is mounting for many. Gas, power, and water remain in short supply. Florida residents face the catastrophic damage of Hurricane Ian. And I mean rebuild it all and rebuild it in a resilient way. President Biden pledges action for Puerto Rico after Hurricane Fiona. Plus, Congress's intent you know, was to comprehensively regulate the waters of the United States. Next on the U.S. Supreme Court's chopping block, the Clean Water Act. All those chopping blocks and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The next time a hurricane's coming, would you think about riding it out on the boat? No. No, I wouldn't even ride it out on land. If they say evacuate, I'm going to evacuate. Yeah, but what if they don't say to evacuate until it's too late? Because, you know, you wouldn't want to shout shark on a crowded beach on July 4th. 
something like that. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the grim news continues coming out of Florida after Hurricane Ian. Yes, sadly, the death toll from Hurricane Ian has topped 100 as we go to air, most of them in Florida, and is likely to climb further. Hundreds of thousands remain without power and clean water, according to the state's health department. Communities have begun the arduous task of cleaning up, facing a long road to recovery in the aftermath of one of the most powerful storms on record ever to hit the country. The scale of Ian's destruction is stunning and projected to cost tens of billions of dollars. The storm's impact on Florida's agriculture industry was also severe. Crops from oranges to tomatoes were severely damaged or destroyed, and that will have ripple effects in the U.S. food prices and grocery stores for months. Mm. Ian's physical destruction also created a massive water pollution event. Floodwaters swept up and then dumped staggering amounts of industrial and residential chemicals and toxic contaminants into soil and waterways. In the Carolinas, Ian's torrential rainfall flooded open pit manure lagoons at industrial livestock farms near waterways. Flooding has overwhelmed municipal water systems in Florida, causing sewage lines to back up. But a 100% solar community just 12 miles from Fort Myers endured Hurricane Ian just fine. Babcock Ranch was designed specifically to withstand hurricanes. Electricity is 100% community solar, streets and landscaping designed to flood so houses don't, power and internet lines buried to avoid wind damage. The development suffered minimal damage and no loss of power during Hurricane Ian, which was its first test, proof of the concept that climate resilient communities work. So it can be done if we actually try, if we actually give a damn, if we actually try to protect our people and our property? Yep. Go figure. Imagine that. Just 12 miles from Fort Myers, you say? Yep. President Biden went to Puerto Rico to view the damage done by Hurricane Fiona two weeks earlier. Puerto Rico's governor says power and water have been restored to all but about 100,000 people. Biden announced the federal government will pay 100 percent of the cost of cleanup and directed new funding from the infrastructure law to build better flood controls to guard against future storms. But many areas are still not rebuilt from Hurricane Maria five years ago. CBS News reports that since Hurricane Maria, only about a a third of federal funding allocated to rebuilding Puerto Rico has actually been dispersed so far. Really? Biden acknowledged that in the past, Puerto Rico has not received all of the federal assistance it is due, and he committed to ensuring the federal government won't leave the island behind again. We know that the climate crisis and more extreme weather are going to continue to hit this island and hit the United States overall. And as we rebuild, we have to ensure that we build it to last. You mean he's going to build back better? Ian is not the only storm out there, of course. These major hurricanes intensifying rapidly, and this one has blown the doors off. Hurricane Orlean made landfall as a Category 3 on Mexico's Pacific coast near the tourist town of Mazatlan on Monday after stunning meteorologists with its rapid intensification into a powerful storm in less than 24 hours, and that is directly linked to global warming. Finally, a heads up. The U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments on Monday in Sackett versus EPA, a lawsuit challenging the scope of the Clean Water Act to 
to determine how and where the EPA can protect wetlands that impact rivers, lakes, streams, also known as the waters of the United States. It was brought by an Idaho couple who destroyed wetlands to build a house. They are backed by major industry groups like the National Association of Home Builders and the American Petroleum Institute. A decision will be announced next year. If the right-wing supermajority on the court rules for the plaintiffs, it could curtail Clean Water Act pollution protections for more than half of the nation's wetlands and 20 percent of its streams that feed into our drinking water supplies. Of course, never mind what Congress or the EPA says. If you don't get permission from the corrupt, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. You know, Desi Doyam, I'm old enough to remember uh, back at the beginning of this program when there was actually some good news <laughs> that we had. Uh, although you had g- some good news there from, is it Bab- Babcock Park? Babcock in, in, uh, Ranch Fort- in Florida. That's the the community specifically designed for climate resilience. So, yes, those things do work when we actually try them. And we'll see if Florida takes the opportunity in rebuilding after Hurricane Ian to do some managed retreat from the shoreline and also to build with climate resilience in mind. That is a very cool story. I would like to learn more about that in the near future, if we're lucky. Uh, we have to get out. My thanks, of course, to our producer, Des Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It's always an honor. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where everything we do, including this here program, is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Or just go to bradblog.com and see the uh, nifty new tool I have on the top right of that page that makes it really easy to help Desi and I uh, continue to do whatever it is we do. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Go, go,